Hello and welcome to Style and Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to Style and Substance. Today, I'm with the lovely Fee. It's decidedly cold, but I am warmed by the response to last week's episode. How are you, Fee? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, here in my heated blanket. It's cold. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, thank you everyone for the massive buzz around the um, hustle culture and income boasting toxic sales tactics episode. It's gone nuts. It has gone nuts. Yes. And this too, today's topic is a hot topic, one that we center quite a lot of our work around right both of us yeah today a lot less contentious a lot less contentious (laughs) a lot more inspiring today we're talking about brand strategy and positioning and before we get into the nuts and bolts of this I think it's really important particularly given my background in looking at this at a more corporate level and with larger organizations and using lots of different strategies to approach this kind of work is that we're very much talking here to hopefully our core market of listeners of smaller entrepreneurial businesses that want to take a slightly more intuitive but well thought through approach. So if you're listening to this expecting models from the 1990s of how to work out where the who the outliers are and where you you know various Venn diagrams you can do and boxes and strategies and all of those things which are all out there and hugely valuable in certain spaces that's not where we're headed with this we're going to be talking as ever about our approach and the the slightly more organic intuitive way that we that we work this stuff out is that fair to say yeah I mean I think it's it's also pragmatic so it is very Mm. instinctive yeah but it's it's like I say to all the designers that I mentor is like what do you need to move forwards with inspiration and clarity Mm. and the challenge that I have I mean we spent a couple of minutes looking at these flipping models because you wanted to talk about them and (laughs) it puts me back in this place of gathering lots of information jumping through lots of hoops that I feel I need to jump through because I've read it on a blog post or a LinkedIn post and that's what brand strategists do Mm. and actually this is not true if you're running a multinational corporate. So let's just, you know, you've made that clear. Let me just make that clear as well. But when I'm working with a small business where it's very easy to be nimble and responsive to what's going on in the market, and it's generally founder-led, even if it's quite big and even if it's quite ambitious, there's a spirit to that brand somewhere. Mm. You want to be getting to a point with all of your branding, whether it's the starting with the strategy and the positioning and the messaging, or whether it's through the execution of that brand identity, clarity is everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
And like you say, the most simplistic way to get there without doing a load of unnecessary busy work. Yeah, but it makes sense. It does. It does need to be right. It does need to work commercially. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's about moving you forwards with clarity and momentum. So anything that's getting in the way of that, anything that's adding to that noise, Mm, is going to be an issue, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So as simple, as elegant, and as clear as possible. Mm. But And if this isn't teaching granny to suck eggs too much, um, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that most people listening to this will have a, will already have been bought in to what positioning is and why it's important. But just to headline that again, why is it so important to get your positioning and your brand strategy absolutely right? Well, at a really simple level, when you are known for being brilliant at something, Mm. you attract the right kind of clients who are prepared to invest in what you want to charge. It makes doing business easier. It also means that you create this loyal tribe of people who know what to expect of your brand when they do business with it. So they, Mm. they already know what they're getting into. So that customer experience and that interaction and that relationship is deepened. The joy is deepened. Your business becomes more recommendable. It's a virtuous circle because you're working with people who love, whether it's your product or your service or your experience, they already love what you do. So, you know, you've got that halo effect of people coming, expecting a good experience yeah. And then they get it and they tell their friends and that makes you feel great. And then your business, it's this lovely, self-fulfilling, virtuous circle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I might have mentioned this analogy before, but if I see all of business and all entrepreneurs as being individual threads within a tapestry of what we can weave together yes. in business, it creates your own unique space, as we've said, and it means that there really is no competition and that every everything dovetails together in the whole fabric of what's out there to create mm. something really beautiful and meaningful so that everybody is served and everybody's doing their best work. So for me, I really I, I think it's a lot about universal alignment as well. <laughs> Without, yes. We're not going to go off on the weird shit tang, and tangent, but I do think it is. I think it's about creating just harmony at every level and it's so key because when you're really resonating or you find that thread you have a clarity of purpose and where you fit that just makes everything feel comfortable and powerful and meaningful yes and I love that because that really brings us nicely onto this idea that really brand strategy and positioning for me it's about finding your space in yeah. the market, which really yeah. is directly linked to your weird shit dharma. <laughs> but what I love about it is that feeling you get of being comfortable and authentic in your space. Yeah. My nerves can't take it on the back of the hustle culture income boasting <laughs> episode last week. But I really would like us to do an episode on competitiveness, competition and, and people encroaching on your space because it's almost sometimes you can have your space. I don't want to get pulled off track too much here, but you can have your space and then someone else will just come and down. (laughs) In it. it, 
which is not always fun. No, um, so part of the reason for this genuinely is to is to help people to not have to do that and to, yeah. so that everybody can sit really comfortably and thrive and shine, reach their commercial potential and their potential as a creative or as an entrepreneur because that finding that both that edge and that gap, that entire space is so valuable in doing that. Okay, so we know why it's important to get our positioning right. It gives you commercial edge. It gives you peace of mind. It enables you to trade off your strengths. It reduces the impact of competition and it enables, hopefully, for you to do your best work with the right people. Why is it so hard for us to find our unique space, do you think? Oh my gosh, such a big question. I mean, I'm glad it is because we get a lot of business from it, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Let's demystify it a bit. I mean, I think the first thing is it's always incredibly difficult to take a step back when it's your own business. Yeah. So it's so much easier for me to look at what anybody else is doing and say, well, that's the magic. That's where you should be focusing when you're in the thick of it, it's much harder because you have all that noise. I think there's also this sort of commercial anxiety to take anything away that people might engage with. Yeah. So we can end up communicating in a very noisy way yeah. on the off chance that something will stick. And actually yeah. what we know is when things are, are really clear and they're really compelling – that's what people engage with. You cannot be all the things to all the people. Yeah. But knowing that and having the confidence to say, well, I'm going to take that bit of my offering out because that's holding me back or that's mm-hmm. muddying the water or I'm going to take these paragraphs off my website because actually they're confusing things. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. quite hard as well, isn't it? So those are two things. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think just to develop that thought as well, I think. For a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly the ones that we work with, they're multi-potentialite. They have a lot of aspects to themselves, to their character, to their well, skill like set. Multi-potentialite. multi-potentialite. Yeah. <laughs> so that basically not... means you could do lots of things. Well, it's it's a much better spin on jack of all <laughs> trades, frankly. Yeah. And because I do think it is multi-potentialite. And when you are someone who has lots of when I think we talked about this have we talked about this in an episode I don't know if we haven't we should about how much of you comes into your brand I think we did do that I think we did a whole episode on that yeah okay good well so we'll go back to that one but it's really hard to almost put parts of ourself away sometimes Mm. in order to niche and this isn't so true for me now for example but when I used to do much more exec coaching Mm. most of the weird shit wouldn't get presented Mm. you know that softer element it would always come into my work but it was a Trojan horse so I think there's Mm. there's a little bit of that that happens I think like you say it's really hard because we don't have the perspective and the clarity and I think which is harder to get when you were looking at our own stuff and I think it's a little bit like pricing what we talked about last week there are so many factors to consider and there isn't really a very straightforward linear process that you can just go, you think about this, then this, then this, then this. Although there are broadly, again, it's another one of these examples of, you know the the conversations you need to be having, you know the information you need to explore and you need to 
look at that from different perspectives and explore it until it synergizes into something that makes sense. And I think that process is quite difficult for people to do on their own, in their own way. Yeah. And then because it's so commercially important, yeah. trusting that outcome, right. you know, it's Absolutely. much easier to just go through those hoops of those models, but never actually, you know, almost in a quite a performative way. And it never actually distills down into anything useful because that would mean actually having to really put your neck on the line. And that won't always yeah. work. Just like yeah. we talked about with pricing last week, it it's not always going to be, you know, you've got to take your best. You've got to test it. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing is, there's quite a lot of noise against the buzzword of this might be interpreted. And I don't think this is what we're saying, but it could be interpreted as micro niching. And there's quite a lot of noise about why it's not good to do that and how it cuts things off for businesses. Mm. And I think what's underneath that is this fear of, like you said before, cutting off a market that might be available to us, not making it easy to get the low hanging fruit of having to work harder, of having to do that. But actually, when you do land on the right position, when you do really understand your magic and you can carve out that that space that only you can own, then it actually makes it a lot easier to do all those things. Mm. I mean, this is already starting to feel a bit heavy and a bit overwhelming, isn't it? Because there is, <laughs> it but there is, there is a lot to think about. And yeah. I wonder if we just come back up and remind ourselves that this is simply about what you're going to be known for yeah. and where you sit in the market. Exactly. Really, really simple. Yeah. <laughs> and how do we know when we're positioned well? Like if you're a business owner listening to this thinking, have I got my positioning right? Is this something I need to be looking at? How do we know? Yeah. I mean, the, the obvious first port of call is, is it working? Yeah. So are you winning work? Are you winning the right kind of work from the right kind of clients? Are they yeah. coming to you for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. You know, is it working? Now, there's lots of variables that come into that. So your strategy might be right, but your messaging might be off. Yeah. So you might know what you want to be known for. You might even be saying the right words on your website. But if your visual identity is sending out a different set of cues, there's yeah. going to be a big misalignment. So there will be opportunities missed there. And that is yeah. why I'm so passionate about my resonant brand approach. Then we've also got the deal with the economy right now. Yeah. So you might have the most on point messaging, the most compelling and captivating brand identity. Yeah. But if your audience are worried about how they're going to pay the gas bill and they've got very limited disposable income, Maybe they're just not in the market for a new service right now. Yeah, yeah. So just because you haven't got the level of business coming in that you would like doesn't necessarily mean it's not working. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't got any business coming in, I think that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest indicator really is the caliber and quality of business that's coming in and how aligned is that with what you set out to achieve yeah that's definitely it for me what proportion of your clients are 
the delight, the ones that you know really get you, the ones that understand you, that you want to be working with, that you deliberately set out to attract. Mm. And if you're not getting any of those, and most of your clients are, I'm sure all very lovely, but a bit of a nightmare to you, then it might be that your positioning needs looking at. And it might not even be that they're not nice people to work with, but just mm-hmm. do they see the value yeah. that you're offering? Exactly. Or are they coming to you for something that you don't really want to be known for and you don't really want to be offering anymore? That's the thing. Are they coming yeah. to you for thing that you think you're communicating? So this alignment is everything. And the brand yeah. strategy and the positioning is that piece right at the start mm. that helps us set that direction. And really, it's got to start from that place of where you want to take your business, hasn't it? What you want to be known for, the kind of work you want to be doing, the kind of products you want to be creating, the kind of business you want to be running, the contribution you want to make to the world or the community. I think it's got to start from you, right? Absolutely. So there's almost an unseen chunk before this bit of positioning, which is the work on the entrepreneur. Yes. But that work does need to be done up front of just being really clear about why you're in business, that all the stuff we talked around in purpose and what your offering actually is. You need to know what it is you're bringing to market before you can even start looking at the strategy and the positioning. So let's Mm. just assume for the purposes of this that you have an offering that aligns with you as an entrepreneur that is the right thing for you to be doing that's on purpose, on Dharma, that is going to make you some money if it's positioned right. And then we get to this bit. Mm. And when we get to this bit, the process actually is relatively simple. We might arrive at it in slightly synergistic ways but for me there's a there's a definite flow isn't there yeah it's a flow for me it's yeah it's synergizing lots of information and distilling that down and ultimately the two things that enable us to find the space that I think you know it's it's shared language for both of us but we're looking for the edge yeah and we're looking for the gap and the magic you know, and well, yeah. yeah, the for me, the edge is it, the magic is wrapped up within that. What's the yeah, edge yeah, you yeah. bring? What's the what's your point of value? What's the magic? What's what makes you different? What do you want to be known for? That's mm. that's your edge. And then, what are the competition doing? Who are you uniquely serving? What is your price point around that? That's the gap. Yeah, and and finding where you fit in that. And for both of us, I think. I call them muses but the you know the ideal clients the audience the target audience mm. the archetypes they come after we've decided that so mm-hmm. it's about thinking about well where do we want to take the business what where are our strengths what are we going to be known for and then who's mm. going to pay for that comes yeah. after yes and yeah. you know without getting into the weeds of maybe more corporate approaches I think Certainly, I can get quite lost in the detail if we get into too much analysis of that sort of thing. It can, I remember doing my dissertation um, years and years and years ago on um, women's magazines in the Second World War. Oh, my Lord. I know. And it was all about the messaging. I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it, really? Because even though I was doing a history degree, I still managed to get onto communication and messaging and advertising. <laughs> yeah. What kind of messaging was going out to women in the war? Mm. Um, and kind of what was the feminist take on that? I can't even bring myself to read it now. 
<laughs> I did so much research. I went to the British Library in London a few times from Sheffield. I amassed this wealth of information. Mm. But I could never quite pull myself out of the weed. I just couldn't get to that point of clarity because I got lost yeah. in all the detail. It was really murky. Mm. Whereas I know when, and, and I wonder if this is learning styles, but I, I know if I have a conversation with an entrepreneur and I can see all the things that's going on, whether it's over Zoom or whether it's one-to-one, face-to-face, I can get to that point of clarity really quickly and I can synergize a lot of information really quickly and I can get to what matters Mm. because this this for me is we both talk about this in different ways but this is about getting into a resonance and actually the point at which I don't know whether it feels like this for you but the point when you hit on it it's like oh it suddenly creates this sort of lift this energy in a business this pull it almost physically pulls me forward on behalf Mm. of the entrepreneur because I can see the way is now clear I can feel the way is now clear yeah yeah it just creates magic whereas I've got like a whole forest of trees in front of this dissertation of just information (laughs) But um, I was going, I'm just revising the Elevate content and I was going through and I was watching those interviews that we did. Mm. And in, and bear in mind, this is like, what, six years ago, pre-resonant brand method. Yeah. And we were talking about how when I'm taking a brief from a client, I'll just get to this point of clarity yeah. and how I would tell my designers and my account execs, I don't necessarily know what the brand's going to look like. Mm. what font we're going to use what but but I'll know where to place it yeah and it's what I was really talking about in Mm. hindsight was resonance yes yeah absolutely yeah so if an entrepreneur is going to be doing this for themselves so what are some of the things that are swimming around in our minds Mm. when we're when we're synergizing with this stuff I think one of the big things for me is where do I place this brand yeah. And I'll have a whole lot of connections that I want to to make sense with. So for something like a retail brand, I might be thinking about the, and this is in no particular order, this is all swirling around. Mm-hmm. I might be thinking about the magazines I'd want to place it in, you know, back in the day, or or in terms of editorial, maybe. I might be thinking about, you know, is this a country living style magazine? Is it a homes and gardens? Yes. So. For example, if we're thinking about an interior designer and I'm thinking about their style, because mm. most most creatives that sell creative services, you're going to be trading off your aesthetic and your creative style. Mm. So I'd be looking at, well, what am I seeing? What does that feel like? What are they? Yeah. What do their interiors feel like? What edge do they bring? Who else do I know? So if, you know, if we're looking at someone colourful, maybe, who Mm. else do I know that is colourful? Maybe Claire Gaskin, her stuff is beautiful and colourful. Maybe Mm. Nicola Harding. How does this designer feel different to that? And Mm. then, well, are we talking about a living, etc.? quite modern, quite clean, Mm -hmm. quite fresh style of design? Is it an El Deco, which is contemporary Mm. and much more, sort of highfalutin is it house and gardens is it homes and gardens each of those magazine titles has its own style and its own aesthetic and that helps me place it yeah so we're saying here look at where your product or service is going to end up 
it's not even that like it's not even as specific as that because I'll often say to say a beauty brand you know are we talking about Space NK is it Liberty Beauty Hall is it yeah yeah it doesn't yeah, mean, I mean we're actually going to end up in Liberty Beauty Hall no no, no that's no. its own no. challenge in its own right but yes. just there is a big difference between um Harrods Beauty Hall and liberties and selfridges yes. so like yes. what it's almost like what's the spirit animal of this brand and i have mm-hmm. never <laughs> never done that whole if this brand were a car it would be this if it was a piece of fruit it would be this i know sometimes that can be quite insightful i've never mm-hmm. done that but i guess that is my version of that that's yeah yeah swirling in my head yeah yeah that makes sense and i think you've hit the nail on the head really for me this is about identifying the spirit of this brand Mm. and everything that's wrapped up within that Mm. um and that's where the magic and the essence comes in what it feels like who's where you're going to see that product or where you're going to promote that service and and what it sits alongside and even before I got to that point actually I'd be thinking about what's the energy so is it yeah is it fast or is it slow is it yeah warm or is it cold is it yeah. hard or is it soft is it yeah. ruffled and frilly and scalloped or is it yeah. clean lined you know there's yeah. and those words will vary again I've got no set mm. it's just about synergizing and and distilling all that down isn't it yeah yeah and you have lots of visual references in mm. your head for doing that as well yeah and then in order to find the gap we have to understand what else is out there and this is really challenging because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, certainly in the in the bigger companies that I work with, maybe not so much the smaller ones, but sometimes they'll come in with this, is the first thing they start thinking about is who's my competition. Mm. Um, and if we do that too early, it can pull us, it can pull us off track yeah. for lots of reasons, which we'll talk about in, in competition in another episode. But mm. We do have to have an understanding of what else is out there, whether we perceive it as yeah. a competitor or not, so that we can find the natural hole, really. Well, I actually find it really helpful. And I think one of the things that's really challenging is when you're pioneering a whole new concept, Yeah, you've got nothing to go on. No one else has done the hard work for you. So yeah, yeah. actually, when you when you find someone that is like, oh God, that was what I wanted to be known for. I was going to go into that space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then I think I've talked about this in other episodes, but then you can start to really get down to the nuance of, okay, well, they offer something quite similar, but actually I bring this and I hadn't thought about that before. Mm. And I think if I'm honest, there are very few absolute pioneers, although I've been very lucky to work with a few of them. You know, actually thinking about, one recently that we've talked about a lot a company that were the first company to create botanically active non-alcoholic drinks and I think Mm. there's now one other that can claim to do the same but when they and and I didn't set their positioning in the end but when they were looking at that it was a hugely difficult process because it had to be well who are we like you know you have a USP there already but positioning that in terms of pricing audience market space all of that you've got nothing to go on but I think most entrepreneurs aren't in that unique space of being complete pioneers and this has never done before never been done before 
but there will always be a unique magic within their field that yeah. they absolutely can find. I think you've raised a really good point there. And sometimes we just need to hone down and not micro niche, not put gazillions of people off, but just be really clear, actually, yeah. and, and make sure that what we are putting out there visually is directly aligned with our strategy. And as we've talked before, that's the bit that I see people really struggle with at, at all the levels. You know, if this is angst making, and difficult to commit to when we do land on it it feels so right and as you say so clear and so motivating and energy forward and something that's so easy for our clients to engage with we have to see that through yeah and let's think about pricing in relation to positioning Mm. what is the interplay between pricing and positioning for you and how do we use our pricing or alter our pricing to help us find our space yeah I mean we talked about this I think in a fair bit of detail last week but it's really about making sure that your pricing allows you to sit credibly and authentically within your space isn't it yeah if we look at that from the flip side your positioning can determine your pricing well it it certainly I loved last week how you were talking about those parameters of comfort for an entrepreneur of their price you know what what is leading to resentment and what's putting them into flinging outside their comfort zone and their price is going to fall between those two and I guess it's a bit the same with positioning it's going to put you into a parameter where if you're a premium skincare brand for example there will be a set of parameters that dictate what people are prepared to spend and if you go below that people are going to question your credibility and the value and if you go above it you're going to potentially limit the number of units you can sell yeah and I think in all of this you have to position yourself in a place that makes you as empowered as you can possibly be, as credible as you can possibly be, reduces the likelihood of imposter syndrome. Mm. You know, my particular field of, of coaching or people development. As a coach, there is a massive spectrum of where you can position yourself, mm. both in terms of the content of what you work on and the level at which people operate at. And the stakes get higher and higher depending on where you go in. So I used to do exec senior leadership coaching for, you know, Microsoft or Google or those really big brands for whom the Mm -hmm. execs are paid a lot of money and need to get their job done really well. And the stakes are incredibly high Mm. and you have to feel comfortable to sit in that space and own it in the delivery of your work. Mm. And, And that space also, I think, in the context of how we approach things, I think it's also recognising that you said up front about these brands being nimble and being able to test and refine and move differently around this space, is your positioning can change. Well, and if it's not working, it needs to, doesn't it? Yeah. Even if the core offering of what you're delivering and your brand and your brand promise is you know, I'm not talking about changing the brand entirely. But you're going to evolve it. I mean, if you, you think about the brand stylist, my, yeah. I mean, that actually, I was a 
pioneer. You know, I was setting mm. out to do something that hadn't been done before. My positioning was quite simple. And then as more people started joining the market, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. I had to differentiate. I had to hone. I had to refine mm. my messaging. Interestingly, the the value that I add, I still think is the same yes. as when yes. I started. My yeah. edge, my magic is still the same. And I think that's what I'm saying. The magic probably will be, but where mm. you then choose to apply that magic or how you language around that magic or your messaging should be refined and honed and will naturally shift. Mm. And I think when you when you hit that sweet spot, you you feel it and you feel empowered. Yeah. Own it totally. We've talked about positioning as almost coming from within, you know. So, so mm. for me, the most powerful positioning comes from synergizing my clients' ambition, their strengths, their vision for their business, the the strengths or the magic within their product or their service looking at the gap in the market, looking at who they want to be working with, what they want to be charging, and all of that comes together. But you said something really interesting in the week, which was that if you wanted to pivot and become the burnout coach, you could do that quite easily right now. Yeah, I see that it's a need. It's really popular. It's really powerful. I have the skill set. Um, there is I don't I haven't looked at who else is doing that kind of thing so I don't know what the gap is but yeah that absolutely could be a repositioning piece and I'm interested to know and maybe it is something you're going to follow up but my sense is you won't do it and I'm interested to know what your thought process is around that because I think it can be very easy particularly in challenging times for Mm. us to get this little zing light bulb of like well I should just go do that micro niche myself this way yeah throw all the tools and all the resource at building this I don't even want to say gimmicky because I think the burnout coach was coming from a real place of compassion and kindness and really wanting to serve the community But I wonder what your thought process was. And also, more to the point, what what our listeners can take from that, I guess. Yeah, I suppose I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wouldn't do it is because my magic is in working in process and having a huge breadth of awareness across my industry and my field which I think is very different from a lot of other coaches. So Mm. I can step into a corporate environment with a senior leadership team, regardless of what they're going through and facilitate and coach it. Or I can take an entrepreneur who has just had hideous family circumstances happen or is on the brink of burnout and doesn't know how to extricate themselves from their business. Mm. And I can do as good a job in both of those areas. Mm. So for me, micro niching into one of those doesn't make any sense because part of my magic is my ability to work in my in process, Mm. regardless of the content. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think the other reason is because personally, I have a huge breadth of interest. Yeah. And whilst there could be loads of value in burnout, and there will be, and unfortunately, if it wasn't burnout, if it was something else, 
uh, I could probably say, well, I wouldn't do that because there will come a point where that is no longer buzzy. And, mm. and then I have to pivot again. Mm. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. But unfortunately, I think burnout, sadly, will continue to become you yeah. know, very needed and meaningful. But in terms of what our listeners can take from it, I think it's very easy to go, oh, that over there looks really shiny. It could make a lot of money. It kind of, it kind of fits and start to run off with that. Mm. And, you know, for me, whenever those questions come up, and they do come up a lot because I mm. am sort of multi-interested, what do you call it early? Multi-potential. Multi multi-potential, like, but that. also multi-interested. <laughs> I've got loads of stuff, that, lo loads of interest, and I follow all of those quite thoroughly. One of the things that is coming up for me is I really want to be doing more conflict resolution work, which was a core facet of my work 15 years ago, because mm. I think peace work is really important. But yeah. when, so when I have these thoughts, for example, I have to go away and go right back into... Who am I? What's my purpose? What's my meaning? What is this a real calling? Does this really fit? And then once I've gone to that place, come out and look at the commercials of it with the business. And does this make sense? And is it sustainable? And is it what I want in terms of the bigger picture? And I think if you don't do that deep introspection and that commercial lens exploration, you can just be a magpie and yeah. never run a sustainable business. Well, and... My sense was, and we didn't really talk this through because it was just a very flippant comment from you, but my sense is that you're, you love, as you say, working with all types of people. You love catching the passion of an entrepreneur at the start of something big. And well, one, I think it would be very one-dimensional working with in the burnout space. I think it would be very emotionally heavy only yeah. to do that work as well. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, it's that thing of, is that really the work that is going to light you up? I think there's a big difference, isn't there, between seeing a gap in the market and a commercial need for something yeah, and it being aligned with what you want to spend your, your day and your life doing. Yeah, and also what your values are. And, and knowing, like, as an entrepreneur, we have to know ourselves really intimately. Mm. We have to know what values we need to hit on a daily basis to make work and life meaningful. And one of my values is difference and flexibility mm. and variety. And if I don't mm. have variety, and my business is deliberately constructed to give me that variety because it's a really core need. It's a core yeah. need. So I wouldn't niche into something. It's not to say I wouldn't niche into burnout because I think there's a huge amount of variety in that, but I wouldn't niche into something that would cut off that core value for me, yeah. whatever that value is for you. Yeah. So I think in making these decisions, we, we need to have a really deep, and this was the work we were talking about before that comes even before this. Yeah. We have to have a really deep understanding of who we are, of what makes us tick, not just our magic, but how we want to work, what gets us out of bed in the morning, what drives us, not just what we're really, really good at and what our commercial magic is within our business we have to have a deep knowing of who we are as an entrepreneur okay so I think actually we've talked around this quite a lot but I think this really is very simple isn't it as we've said 
So if we were just to wrap this into some core things that you need to focus on in some kind of order, given that we know we we sort of synergize this together, when you're thinking about your brand strategy and where you position yourself, what are the headlines? Let's just recap. Well, so you want to get to a place where you know what you want to be known for, and that's going to determine your messaging. To do that, you have to have a clear space in the market that plays to your strengths that only you can own. Yeah. And so it's really about working back from that point, isn't it? So your I mean in the brand clarity course we walk you through sort of your strengths, your magic, your ambition, your vision for your business, what you love doing, what you don't love doing, what what makes you feel good about doing what you do and actually what undermines that what do you want more of what do you want less of so I think Mm. lots of that stuff think about what sets you apart look at how that bumps up against your competitors Mm -hmm. use what you see from your competitors as an opportunity to hone your messaging to hone that differentiator even more and you really want to get to a point where yeah, you're clear about where you sit in the market and what you want to be known for. And then you can think about who's going to pay for that and how you communicate that. Mm. Great. Lots of stuff to go away and think about. So if you think you might not be positioned quite as you would love to, or you couldn't just say, this is my magic, this is where I sit, this is who I want, then this is definitely something to explore. And we hope you enjoy that lovely process, folks. Let us know how you get on. It's nice to explore something a little bit lighter this week. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right, have a fabulous week. Have a good week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Style and Substance. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love a review. We're a brand new show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.